they, they interviewed the uh, rabbi at one of the, the uh, temples, the synagogues, and uh, he, he, they had never done anything over the Internet, streaming-wise, and this is Palm Sunday, so you've got Passover and all that going on. So he's like, normally we have like 200 people here trying to fit into, our, you know, doing and everything. And, but uh, we're glad you're here, and we're glad for the folks on the Internet. And we're just going to keep going. It is Palm Sunday. And uh, I, don't, I think they said, I read somewhere that this is the first time in American history that churches will be closed, if you will, on uh, Palm Sunday and Easter ever, and I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, all right, Romans chapter 1, we're, 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 we come now here to verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we've been talking about uh, the, the issue there in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and that's what we've been talking about. We've been looking at the fact in the, that issue of the good news of Christ as it pertains to the information, the details that Paul now brings in about the death, burial, and resurrection. And that goodness, that, that good news concerning Jesus Christ. And we, we looked last time at 1 Corinthians 1 there where it has to do with the has to do, uh, the gospel of Christ has to do with the cross. He says in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that issue there, the, the details concerning the all-encompassing achievement, accomplishment of the death, burial, and resurrection. Then in verse 17, he begins to, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And, and he, Paul begins to introduce something here. And he, he's, I'll remind you that, um, of the courtroom scene. Paul is the prosecuting attorney as he begins to stand up now and really begin to press the, the legal issues here. Um, the, the center, the defense team, uh, they're, they're, in the, they're in the courtroom as well. And the first thing that Paul begins to press is, is actually very important to see and to grasp here because he presses the issue about the righteousness of God and the fact that a component of the gospel of Christ is this issue about the righteousness of God. Now, when we think about the gospel from our perspective, we think about it as our, for it being for our benefit, for it coming along and providing us forgiveness of sins and eternal life and all spiritual blessings and so forth and, and that issue of the free gift. But with Paul, that's not the first thing he brings up. He doesn't bring up any benefits to us. Rather, he brings in this issue about the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith. And for, for therein, in the, the, the message and the, and, and the components, the details 
one, some of the details of the gospel of Christ, for therein, in the gospel of Christ, is the righteousness of God revealed. And really, that becomes the most important issue here as we begin to study the book of Romans and as it is concerning the gospel of Christ and in, as, we, as we preach Christ and him crucified is now this issue about the righteousness of God and that, that issue of what, the reason that God is righteous, he's just in what he's doing. You see, God can't just give anyone eternal life. He has to do it based upon the integrity of him, of his person, who he is, who and what he's doing as a holy and just and righteous God. He, he just can't say, okay, this group gets it and this group doesn't. So the first thing here, and coming in out of in verse 17, as Paul is now going to begin to, to prosecute the case, if you will, is this issue about the righteousness of God. Because what's going to happen from here down through now, next time we'll be in verse 18, we'll see the wrath of God is revealed. And what's going to happen here now through the, rest, through the beginning here of Romans is there's going to become a series of objections. There's going to become a series of questions that that are going to come up from the defense team, from the center. And as he, again, is prosecuting out the case, he's going to begin to provide evidence that is going to maintain, establish, protect, validate the integrity of the righteousness of God and the fact that what God is doing and why he's doing it and, and, the, and the purpose for it doesn't violate anything over here that pertains to who God is. You'll notice verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Now come over to chapter 3 where we come to the conclusion of the courtroom view, of, of the prosecution of, of the case. Look in chapter Three. We'll start in verse 19. I, for a long time, we just kind of read these verses and move on. But verse 19 is a wonderful verse when you kind of just stop and think about the context in which it's in. It's a glorious conclusion. Paul says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Think about that. There has finally come a time when God just said, shut up. Enough. Enough is enough. God finally tells the world all that every mouth may be stopped. Now, I know and you don't use the S word, shut up. But that's really what God's doing. We've come through, we come here to the conclusion of, the, of, of, of demonstrating the evidence. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, man's been arguing at every turn. Man's been putting up a defense. Paul, God uses Paul to refute all the, the, the arguments. The sinner in his defense really makes some very lame arguments. 
against what God is saying about the sinner. We're going to see it in chapter 1. We'll see it again in chapter 2. We'll see it again in chapter 3. Finally, I mean, you know, as a, as a dad, as a parent raising kids, you know, the kids are like, hey, baby, you know, and they're arguing with you, and you finally just want to look at them and tell them what? Knock it off. Shut up. Enough. Stop. And that's really what God's saying here. Hey, that the, every mouth may be stopped. Enough. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. No more. Knock it off. We're, we've proved the case. God has used the Apostle Paul to lay in this issue. Verse 21, but now the right, notice how I, we begin the section about therein is the righteousness of God, and now we're coming to a conclusion, and guess what shows back up? That issue of the righteousness of God. But notice it's without the laws manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Paul, in, in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is going to validate that God is right in all that he is doing. He is right, righteous, rightness to execute wrath against the sinner, to come along and to pronounce man guilty, to say enough is enough. Even the righteousness of God, verse 22, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul is establishing here, chapter 1, verse 17, that legal, the, the, the legalese here, the legalness of what God has, is doing, he's right to do what he's doing. Verse 25, chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare, notice, his righteousness, verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Paul has, is declaring his rightness. He, Paul has laid in the case as a part, as a mechanism of the gospel of Christ, as a part of it, of this issue that God is right. He has a legal right to deal with sin. He has a legal right to deal with the dilemma of sin and to do it once and once for all. That's why Paul doesn't start with, in, in chapter 1 over there, of, hey, look at this, man. Woo, look, we got forgiveness of sins. He doesn't start there. He comes in and says, hey, we got this gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And you know what? It also proves that God is legally right in doing what he's going to do. But now watch man. What is man going to do? <laughs> Man's going to object. They're going to come along and raise an objection. And again, we know that the gospel of Christ is man's only hope. We understand that the gospel of Christ is the only means by which God can redeem the sinner. And he's going to redeem the sinner unto, unto all and upon all them that believe. 
But he's going to do it while he's maintaining his righteousness, his legal right to do it. Verse 26 of chapter 3, when we started the book, I told you it's probably the key verse in the whole book of Romans. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be, there it is, just, right, righteous, holy, his integrity is in place, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's critical to understand, that God is both just and the justifier, but that he's also right. And his righteousness is what allows him to do what he's doing. And what Paul's laying in is, hey, look, I am, he's doing this, and he's, he, he has the legal groundwork and the footing to do it on. Now, come back with me to Job chapter 9. By the way, uh, stop in Acts 16 on your way. <clears throat> Acts 16. Acts 16 and verse number 30. And then we'll go back to Job chapter 9. Acts 16.30, the Philippian jailer here, he says, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that interesting? That is the question. That is the question of all of humanity. And Paul's answer is, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now come back with me to Job 9. Job is, is the oldest book in the Bible. Um, it, it's a, it, it predates everything. Um, when you get into the internal study and you look back at it and so forth, it has also been said to be the oldest piece of human literature, just literature written by man. It, it actually goes back that far. But notice something here in Job 9. Now, we understand what's going on in Job. Job's being attacked by Satan, doesn't realize it. God said, consider my servant Job. And Job has three buddies show up, miserable comforters, <laughs> three friends. And really a great study in human psyche and human thinking and how humans think is really the, a, a wonderful study in Job. Because they, you know, Job, just curse God and die, Job's wife says to him. You know, just get over with this, <laughs> you know. And all of the self-justifications and the self-righteousness and so forth and in Job answers, verse 1, then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should men be just with God? That is the oldest issue known to man. That is the question of the ages. What must I do to be saved? How is man just with God? Look down at verse 20, 920. I, if I justify myself. Mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. You know what man knows? They can't do it themselves. They got an issue. They have a problem. It's already been declared. It's been declared in the oldest book, if the historians are correct. It goes all the way back to the oldest time. Here it is. Right off the bat, we have a great dilemma, don't we? Man can't get it done on his own. Come back with me to Deuteronomy 25. Just stick with me here. We're getting, we're gonna do, we're getting somewhere. Deuteronomy chapter 25. 
Deuteronomy chapter 25. And notice verse number 1. Deuteronomy 25 verse 1. The, the oldest question, what, what is, how does a man, how do I get saved? How am I just with God? How am I, how am I good with God? Well, man comes up with a bunch of reasonings. God says, this is how, through my son. But notice something in Deuteronomy 25, verse 1. These are the basic foundational building blocks of the law here, the Mosaic law. If there be a controversy between men, they come unto unto judgment, that the judges may judge them. So we've got an argument. We've got a disagreement. We're going to come to the judge, to the judges. We're going to come into the courtroom. They're going to produce, you're going to produce your evidence of why you're right and why they're right and why they're wrong and why you're, everything gets produced. And the judges in the nation of Israel, their job was to sit in the gates and so forth and make judgments. Now watch the rest of this verse then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Isn't that interesting? The natural foundational purpose of the law is to justify the right, the right and to condemn the wicked. We don't reward the murderer, the robber, the thief, the one breaking the law. We don't punish the innocent the righteous. You see, from the very beginning, what does man know? Right and wrong. By the way, where does that come from? Well, Romans 1 is going to tell us when we get down in it, God has literally written that into the wisdom. He's literally written that wisdom into the DNA of mankind. Instantly, there's a, I know that's right and I know that's wrong. Over time, what did man do with that? They rejected it. They denied it. They sought to manipulate it. Now, they twist it. They degrade that. If you're in verse 1 here, what you're looking at is the issues of the righteousness of God. We're going to be just with the right, and we're going to condemn the wicked. Man has come along over time. They have carnalized the righteousness of God. Come back to Romans 1. Just just notice this. You see, they know, Romans 1, verse 21, they know the difference between right and wrong. That's going to be the whole point here. In, in, In Romans 1, 2, and 3, the concluding matter is all are sinners, but what what's going to prove, be proven in this as we go through Romans is that man has taken that basic fundamental of the law of understanding what is right and what is wrong, and they've carnalized it. They've, they've rejected it. They've twisted it. They've made it into some other things. Verse 21, he says, "...because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful." but became. You see, they know the difference. They know some things. Why? Well, verse 19 and 20, it's in them. He wrote it into their DNA. You see, that's what the book says about the sinner. 
That's what Paul is presenting here. Hey, look, God is righteous in what he's going to do here because mankind is a sinner. And here's the, the details. Here's what's going on. So what does man do? Well, we can't, we can't like that Bible because the Bible is positive toward God and negative toward man, right? So we're going to, what, well, what are we going to do? We're going to become vain in our imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We're going to come up. We know that we can't get to that level of perfection, perfect righteousness. We know that. We'll look over here in a minute in Isaiah 6, and where Isaiah says, I'm all but undone. I can't. I can't attain that perfect holiness, that perfect righteousness. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do some things here. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like, excuse me, made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They took God, they took his righteousness, they took his holiness, his integrity, his justice, everything about who he is, and they, they make him, they push him all the way down to that bug in the corner we're going to step on. They do it by redefining morality. They do it by redefining marriage. You, I mean, you just look at our society today. I mean, today everybody's in lockdown, you know. The, the joke, anyway, there's a lot of jokes about it, but... Uh, we'll, we'll leave those for another time. But the thing of it is, is, you know, you look at this and you look at what's going on in society and what are they doing? What is religion doing? Well, as the movie said, they can't handle the truth, so what do they do with it? They twist it. They take God and they literally take God and they make him into a monster, into someone who everyone should run from, should flee from. So when you come back up to verse 17 there, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Righteousness, rightness. In the gospel, God is going to put on display his rightness. He's going to put on display that what he is doing is right. It's in keeping with what he is doing and with who he is. The greatest testimony of God's righteousness is the cross. We'll see that here in just a second, just a minute as we go through this. God, God is perfectly, consistently, he's, he, he's being consistent with who he is. In, not only in his actions, but in his character. That's that issue of righteousness. You, you think about what God the Father did. He... He, off, he, he, he condemned his son, hung him on the, an innocent man, hung him on a, killed him for the wicked. Now, that goes against what we just read in Deuteronomy 25, isn't it? What do we do with the innocent, the righteous? We justify them and we condemn the murderer, but it, so it offends our understanding of right and wrong. It offends our thinking. It, valid, uh, it violates our frame of referencing. Why in the world would he go do that? He condemned his son. Who, he was made to be sin. 
and he did it for the wicked. Come back on over to Isaiah 6. I was talking about it there a minute ago. You see, he condemned his son for the wicked to give them, the sinner, the, the, to give them eternal life. And again, that appears to be a, a violation of one of the fundamental principles of the law. Yet God says that he was right to do it. Because there's no other way to, to give man eternal life. Because that, the justice of God demands, demands the perfect righteousness be adhered to. So it took a condemnation of a righteous man to be there for those who don't deserve it. Let's just take a few minutes and look at the righteousness of God. Look at Isaiah 6 with me. And, and there are many verses and many different ways to look at this. And, and I, I just picked a few just really for time's sake, but also just so you kind of catch what, what Paul's doing in Romans 1.17. He doesn't start out with the benefits of Calvary. Rather, he starts out with this protection of the right, the, the legality of God was right to do what he did. Isaiah 6 and verse 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You, you, you see that holy, holy, holy? We're going to talk about God's holiness. His holiness is being satisfied. If you look back up at verse 1, in the year... Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and, and one had six wings, and the twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy. So we're in the throne room. Isaiah is moved into the throne room, and he hears this holy, holy, holy. Verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice what, what, what Isaiah says, I'm a sinner. I'm undone. I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. I, it's a privilege to see the glory. It's a privilege to see the righteousness of God. I don't deserve this. What am I doing here? Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the, with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this have touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Look at that. I don't, have, I don't belong here. I have no right to speak here. I'm a sinner. Man, as a sinner, you don't talk to God. You're not worthy. But what did Calvary do? Calvary makes that sinner worthy. The gospel of Christ makes the sinner worthy. 
That's what happens here in verse 7 where he says, Now mine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Isaiah in the throne room sees the holy, 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 the holiness of God, sees all of that. Now come on over all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 4, where John is taken up into the throne room. Revelation 4 and verse 8. The culmination of everything, of all of it. Revelation 4 and verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and the rest not, and, and rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. John, again, in the throne room. The, 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 the cherubs are there. Everyone is there. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, and holy. The central issue is that the holiness of God, the, the God of the universe, the creator, he is holy, holy, holy. And in the throne room, that is the issue. Now, think about the throne room. Come, come back with me to Psalms 89. When you think about where Isaiah and where John were dragged up, we're now, and again, we're looking at the righteousness of God. But when you talk about the righteousness of God, you're talking about a component of his holiness. Okay? Put it up here on the board. I wasn't going to mess up my clean board for next hour. but So you have his holiness. Holy. 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 And one of the components is the issue of his rightness. The other component is the issue of his justice. Okay, now look at Psalms 89. Now what this does, this is the foundation of his throne. His throne is sitting on his holiness. Look at Psalms 89 and verse 14. By the way, do you notice love is in none of that? Is God, does God love? Yeah. Does he have mercy? Yeah. Does he have kindness? Yeah. Do, is he long-suffering? Yeah. Love, kindness, tenderness? Yeah. But it's, these are attributes. This is what makes him up. This is what comes up underneath and, and becomes the, the foundation of it. Look at Psalms 89, verse 14. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. So we'll add truth over here. You see, everybody, oh, God is love. No, God is holy. And a component of his throne is justice and judgment. His, his throne is grounded on justice and judgment and righteousness. All that God, you're in Psalms 89, come back to 90, or come over to 97, Psalms 97. All that God is going to do has been grounded on his justice. So that means that he has to do them the right way. You see, the grace of God 
I didn't write grace on there, did I? We'll write it up there. Grace. He's gracious. You see, the grace of God is not God, simply God giving all of mankind a break on the sin problem. That isn't the grace of God. God can't just go out there and do whatever he wants to do. He has to do what his justice and his holiness, what his righteousness will allow him to do. You see, we had, people got this weird idea about God's grace. God's grace will never forfeit his righteousness. God's grace will never violate his holiness. It will always do what justice demands to be done. Psalms 97 Verse 2, clouds and darkness are around, are, are around about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. He's a holy God. His holiness makes up of, made up of righteousness and justice. And that's critical to catch. It's critical to grasp that when Paul says, Therein, in the gospel, in the good news, is the righteousness of God revealed. He's not talking about anything about you and I. He's talking about, hey, God had the legal right to come over here and to do Calvary for the sinner, take care of the sinner's dilemma, because it was righteous and it was just. It was right. Now, the righteousness of God establishes the standard that reflects his holiness. So his righteousness establishes the standard that reflects his holiness. Then justice, the justice of God... It maintains, it maintains the integrity of his holiness. Follow that. Both of these are designed to protect his righteousness. You see, his justice comes along and says, that's the perfect, that's the proper execution of his righteousness and of his holiness. It's proper. It's right. His righteousness establishes the function of his holiness while his justice maintains the integrity of his holiness. You follow that? I hope you catch that. Maybe the room's half empty, three quarters empty. Everybody in Every, you know, it's interesting. The room's empty. Everybody's sitting in the back of the building. <laughs> That's okay. You've got to be six feet away. They're 60 feet away. <laughs> okay? No, I, want, I hope you catch that. See, his holiness is made up of these two components. Because when we go through Romans, we're going to see his righteousness laid out, and we're going to see where his justice demands perfect righteousness and you know what that sinner says? I can't do it. Yes, God is gracious. Yes, he loved mercy, kindness. 
long-suffering, tender, true, has truth. All of, yes, the, but this is who he is. This is where, this is the foundation of it all. If you violate his holiness, justice demands a payment. Come back to Romans chapter 2, chapter 1. Just go back there. You see, his justice demands perfect righteousness. Look, look, look over at a passage, Romans 2. Just kind of get an idea the, about this. Romans 2, he starts there in verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. So that issue here now is the guy that is... He, he's, you know, some of the books and some of the preachers call it this the moralizer, the guy who's morally higher than everybody else. He, he, he's got that air of superiority about him. And that is the case, but it can also be really anybody that thinks that they're living better than somebody else. Notice he says there in verse 1, For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. I mean, he's just nailing man. Got him on the process, got him on the stand, cross-examining him and going after him. Verse 3. Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the what? The justice, the judgment of God. You think you're going to get away from the justice of God? Or despises, or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? See, look, there we go. We got some more over here, don't we? Who is he? Well, he's, we got some goodness, right? We got some forbearance, and that's a good thing. Forbear. He's got some kindness. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, verse 5, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, See the, how man has answered this and has responded to the goodness of God, the, the good news, the gospel of Christ. Treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. By the way, this is, we're talking about this, the great white throne judgment here. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Verse 7 is a definition of perfect righteousness. Who in continuance, who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. When you sit there and you patiently continuing, the problem is, is you don't continue to do it. Somebody crosses you. And anger, boom, pops up. You're guilty. Somebody comes along and you just say a little white lie. You know, that verse over there in Revelation, all liars shall have, boom, you're guilty. Perfect righteousness, the justice of God, the righteous judgment of God will give you eternal life if you have perfect righteousness. The problem is, is he's proving the case that you don't. By the way, but unto them that are uh, contentious and do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. (laughs) Paul says, look, guys, what justice is looking at is do you maintain that righteous standard? And guess what? You don't. Come back to chapter 1. You don't. This is why Paul starts in verse 17 with all that the grace of Christ, all that the gospel of Christ, all, that, all the achievements that were accomplished at Calvary was done the right way, met the standard, took care of his justice. That's why over there in chapter 3, in verse 25, you'll see that God the Father had faith in his blood. He's the propitiation. He satisfies the justice of God. Go back there to verse 17. You see, when Paul starts here, he starts with, hey, listen, folks, listen, people, listen, sinner, listen, saint. The issue is not about you. The issue is about what he has done. What God did was the right thing to do. He maintained his, the, that holy standard. He didn't violate any principle that he had already established. Rather, he was right in what he did. Now, watch verse 17. Let's talk about some of the rest of the verse here. For therein... A component of therein, in the gospel of Christ, a component of the gospel of Christ, by the way, you'll notice four, that F-O-R, back there in verse 16, there's a four, F-O-R. By the way, in verse 16, there are two of them. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, verse 17, for therein is, verse 18, for the wrath. That word for, F-O-R, further explanation. Here's some more details. Here's some more information. I'm ready to come and preach the gospel to you. Well, which gospel? The gospel of Christ. The details about the death, burial, and resurrection as they begin to apply to all men. Because in that gospel is the power of God, is that that power, that that wonderful attribute of of Christ, of God, to come in and and to change the spiritual condition of man. For therein, in the gospel, another component is this issue of the righteousness of God is revealed. How is it revealed? From faith to faith. Now that, see, I ran out of room. So here's the equation. Faith to faith. And I lost my... Somewhere my faith to faith. That's the equation. And what this equation does is it protects the righteousness of God. Because when he says faith to faith, why is God able to do what he's doing? He's right in doing it, but why? Because it's it's his faithfulness. 
you know where you and I are at in that equation? We're not there. This is God, the, the Godhead here. Us, we are not in that equation. All this is possible because we are excluded from the equation. The good news of the cross is that everything that Jesus Christ accomplished excluded our involvement. It excluded everything, Ephesians 2, not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's, uh, that's in Titus. Uh, um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Romans 4, verse 5, unto him that believeth, unto him that worketh not, but believeth. You see, God is able to maintain the integrity of his holiness, the righteousness of God, because of the principle of faith. So Paul here is now introducing that principle of faith. And that faith is now going to be the issue. And why God is able to come and do what he's doing is because of the faithfulness of his son. Come over to chapter 3 again, where we were just a minute ago. At the conclusion of the courtroom, of this aspect and this part of the courtroom, I think about the courtroom idea. Uh, I, I think I, I'm trying to remember where I read it. You gave me the idea. I think it was in Newell's, Roman's book, I think. I, don't quote me on that. And he talked about, and, and really, Paul's going to prosecute the case. That's what he's doing here. 327, Romans 327, verse 26, he says, Declare, I say it, there is time his righteousness that he might be just and a justifier of him which believeth. There's the faith issue again, right? Believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of Faith. Faith is introduced in connection to what God is able to do and how God is able to protect His holiness, His righteousness, His judgment. Verse 28, therefore we conclude. It's interesting in verse 9 he says, we've proved. Now we're going to make a conclusion, closing arguments on this side of the part of the case. That a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The faithfulness of someone else that stands in our place. The faithfulness of, uh, of the Son to come along and to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's how God maintains His holiness because we're excluded from the equation. Faith to faith. The holiness, the righteousness, the justice of God. We can never satisfy that. And we know that. That's why Isaiah says, I'm all but undone. Man, I'm a sinner. I don't even deserve to talk to God. But Calvary now brings us, gives us access. We'll see that here in just a second. To him. Faith to faith. 
Back there in chapter 1, verse 17, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That issue of from faith to faith, you got to remember, we are not included in that equation. That's how God can maintain his righteousness. You're, are you still in chapter 3? Look back down there at verse 22. Notice this issue about faith and faithfulness and faith to faith. Romans 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Well, wait, 117 said the righteousness of God is revealed by what? Faith to faith. So we're talking about the faith of who? Jesus Christ. The faithfulness of Christ is the issue. Now you think about that. This is Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter on the calendar, April of 2020. What's going to happen on those events about Easter? He comes out of that upper room dealing with the, with the, with the 12. He goes down into the Garden of Gethsemane, and what does he say? If there's a way, Lord, I know there's a way, but if there's a way to let this cup pass, but not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Father, I know that if I called on you and just said enough's enough and stop, stop all this, that you would. But you know what? It's not my will. I'm going to go and do it because it's what you would have. It's what your word ha would have us to do. It's his faith. It's his faithfulness to accomplish the plan. It's his faithfulness to depend on the word of the Father. I mean, think about Christ looking at mankind going, I got to die for that? <laughs> for those people? For the people that hated me? Spit on me? Beat, they beat, they're going to beat me? They're going to crucify me? I got to die for that? Okay, let's go. We'll do it. I said it in February. Put me in. I'm ready. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Pick me, pick me. I'm ready. You know? He willingly, understanding the will and the word of the Father, goes and does it. That's why when you find Bibles that change the faith of to the faith in, that's tough to deal with. Come over to Galatians 2. Galatians 2. Because it's our faith... You know, if, if God had to protect his holiness by our faith, he'd have lost on day one with Adam when Adam fell. It's not about our faith. It's about his faith. Galatians 2, notice verse number 16. Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. How's a man justified? Not by working, not out there by doing. It excludes the issues of works, but rather we're justified based on his faithfulness. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, nor by the works of the law for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. To maintain the integrity of God, to maintain the integrity of His holiness, of His righteousness, His justice will only accept the issue of faith. It demands that faith be expressed 
by someone who holds the worthiness, the rightness to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. It is his faithfulness. This is not about us. I hope you can see that. Now, we're not, a, we're not involved. Our faith is not included in the work of Christ. Where our faith shows up is when God extends that gift out there to us. Unto all and upon all them that believe. When God extended that gift to mankind through the gospel of Christ, through the preaching of the cross by Paul, to all of mankind we're talking about, now God turns and says, the only thing I'll ever accept from you is faith. It was his faith and his faithfulness. Now it becomes our faith in what he did. And then we turn and all that we can say is, thank you, because it's a gift. You're in Galatians 2. If you look down at verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How did he live? I live by the faith of the Son of God. How did he live? You go look at Christ's life. We're studying Matthew. We've studied Luke. We've looked at John. We've studied the Gospels of John. We're in Matthew. Next will be Mark. And, and you know what you begin to see him do? You begin to see the Lord look, the Son of God look, and say, you know what? Not my will, but your will, Father. He says over there to John, you see the works I do? I didn't do these. These aren't my works. These are the works of the Father, the one that sent me. I'm, I'm here doing his word and his works and his activity. And I'm going to do it all the way out to perfection. Come over, get, get Ephesians 3, but get Philippians 3 first. Let's do Philippians 3. So what happens to mankind? Faith to faith. Next time we'll finish up that the just shall live by faith because time's running out on me here. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, Paul writes here to the Philippians, verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. And then Paul goes in and he gives his religious life. And you know what religion does? It brainwashes you. It thinks you can do it. You walk the aisle, jump over, do this. You know what? The offering box is here. You're not given. It's interesting. <laughs> I know today and right now with all the, the lockdown and everything, giving's low on churches across the board, the giving. Why? Because they can't beat on you. <laughs> you know? Now, I'm going to beat on you, get online and give in the P.O. box, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But they can't get, you know, because you go into the average church today, the first 20 minutes of the service is about tithing and giving and boom, boom, beating on you. He says, hey, guys, religion comes along and messes you up. You become brainwashed. I was, he says, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul says, man, when I got saved and I got understanding this word, the, the sound doctrine, my life completely changed. Watch verse 9. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. That's what religion did. Gave him his own righteousness. Paul says, I don't want my righteousness. I want but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by, notice again, faith. Come over to Ephesians 3. You see, faith the faith has to do with the Godhead. Faith to faith has to do with what's protecting the righteousness, the holiness of God. If someone worthy to go up and do, had to do it, the son goes and does it willingly. And you know what he says? Paul says, you know what? Religion teaches me to be in my faith, in my own righteousness. I don't want that. That wasn't worthy to do. I want his righteousness. Now look at Ephesians 3, just real quick, and we can close here, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. New Bibles again, make that faith in him. Because of, we stand in his son, we can now go to the throne room. Not because of our faith, but because it's the faith of the son. So when you come back here to Romans 1.17, the faith to faith, the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, the faith of the Son is what's maintaining the integrity of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God and His justice. Now we'll pick up here because the time's up. Talk real quick about the just shall live by faith and then walk down into verse 18 and, and then see the wrath of God is revealed. All of this, again, stark contrast to what we think. We hear the gospel, we think about all that we get. <laughs> Paul says, we're going to talk about the gospel of Christ, and the first thing you know, need to know is he had the legal right to do what he did. He didn't violate any statute. He didn't violate any laws. And rather, he protected his righteousness, his justice, his holiness. Okay? All right, Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight here into this and the, the awe that we stand in, in as we know that as humble men we had no place to be, but yet because of who we are in your Son, we have access into your presence, and we're thankful for that. In your name we pray, amen. All right.